Good evening. Good evening to the visitors. If you're here visiting with us, we welcome you here at Oak Mountain, where we serve an almighty God. If you're here as a visitor and you're not used to or accustomed to this type of worship, we hope that you would find something edifying with this and may obey the gospel should that be the need. It is a need and a requirement if you haven't already to do so. And hopefully at the end here, you will respond accordingly if need be. As you can see on the board behind me, we are going to be discussing the value of work to those who fear the Lord. As members, we understand this is part of the 2022 Fear of the Lord lectures. This is lecture number nine, and I think we'll have maybe one more next month. Um, so as we get started with this, I'd like to say that uh, we'll be reading through some examples, various scriptures. Feel free, please, I encourage you to follow along, but we'll be moving along pretty quickly. Uh, Christianity was designed by God, as we know. As we look at this, we know that Christ is the head. We are his disciples. Um, and so it's in the scriptures that we find everything that we need to properly govern our lives. As we start talking about this fear of the Lord earlier in the year, some of the things we have covered up to this point are as follows. What does it mean to fear the Lord? How to seek wisdom, marriage and family, controlling our emotions, love and hate, guarding our speech, money management, choosing good companions, and tonight, the value of work to those who fear the Lord. As I said earlier, Christianity was created by God. And like the Mosaic Law, it was taught, and it was designed to, talk, to be taught from generation to generation. And God is holy, we're meant to be holy, but we know the desires of the flesh are in contradiction to the Spirit. We must choose. If you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, the passage there in chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, I'll begin in verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We know the story of young Timothy. Paul knows the story of young Timothy. And part of the faith that young Timothy had was instilled in him, as it says here, from childhood. Again, I believe the values of work, part of our faith, should be instilled in us as children, when and ever, and every time possible. Young Timothy was blessed with a grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And his faith started as a, as a young man, as it was designed to be. Now, we know that some of the most faithful don't necessarily come from homes that fear God. That's not what we're trying to say tonight. But the design of Christianity is to take ownership of it and to teach it to your children. 
Tonight, let's talk about a few things, three simple points, three very simple, very basic, fundamental points about what we're trying to say. The question is, do we have to work? And I suggest tonight that there are three points that might help us realize that, that we do have to work with a certain attitude and disposition. Point number one, it's the very nature of God. See, it's easy. Very nature of God is to work. God has been working from the beginning. He continues to work. And by that, we're created in his image. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see God's handiwork, uh, the creation of heaven, the earth, and the key word through all of those passages at that point is work. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, we're created in his image, in his likeness. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, God finished his work. In chapter 2, 4 through 5, the man wasn't quite there yet. There was no man to work the ground yet. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, he put man in the Garden of Eden to work. In chapter 4, verse 2, there's Abel, a keeper of the sheep, Cain, a worker of the ground. So from the beginning, it's been the very nature of God, the very nature of man, that we should be workers. Point number two is we must work to provide. We must work to provide for ourselves. If you remember the story of Naomi and Ruth, Naomi took Ruth, Ruth followed Naomi, they went home. But it was Ruth that had to go to work and provide. In chapter 1, verse 22, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. In chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, Ruth said, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. And how about Lydia from Thyatira? In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, she was a seller of purple goods. Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18, 2 through 4. Same trade as Apostle Paul, they were tent makers. So we're also to provide for ourselves, but also for our family, whether it be our wives, our husbands, our children, and possibly extended family, like Ruth and Naomi, as we just read in Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 2. But we're also to provide for others, whether it be needy Christians, those who are sick and special needs, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the helpless, those who may be neglected. Acts chapter 9 talks a little bit about Tabitha. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. We don't have any evidence where she learned her trades, but there's great value to teaching these things early in life to our children for prosperity, yes, but also so that we can give to others as needed. The same thing can be said about Joseph of Arimathea. Don't necessarily know how he acquired his riches, but this man was rich, clearly. 
but he did something with his riches. He was a disciple of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 27, 57 through 60. We know what he did. He provided a tomb for Jesus. So that's point number two. We must work to provide. Number three, we must work because God has commanded us to work. To Adam, the Mosaic Law, to us who are Christians, in all three dispensations, in every way that he's communicated to us, in every law and every commandment, we've always been people who are commanded to work. In Genesis chapter 2, he put man in the Garden of Eden to work. In the Mosaic Law, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 9, speaking about the Sabbath, but it says here, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And of course, to Christians, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, we are told to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, the record says, for, when, for even when we were with you, we will give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their, their own living. And also for the collection of the saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, one of many examples, it says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we have three points here. Maybe we could do more. It's the very nature of God. It's our very, very nature of man. We need to work to provide. And it's commanded by God that we must be workers. So I'd like to go to a couple examples in the Old Covenant both in the time of the Judges, uh, beginning in Judges 17. We might remember an individual here by the name of Micah. The record says that Micah was a man of the hill country of Ephraim. Verse 2 says he decided, essentially, to be a thief. He stole from his mom. And it seems after he heard about the curse from his mother, he's, he's clearly now decided to return the 1,100 pieces of silver. As Christians, we've read this story, some of us, most of us. So we know this is, this is not a really good example here regarding work in the fear of the Lord or the value of work. But it's a valuable teaching. Here's Micah. If you read this whole chapter, you know that he was well aware of the Mosaic Law. He wasn't ignorant, but every man was doing as he wanted to do at this period of time. The record says that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, thou shalt not steal. And also in verse 12, honor your father and your mother. But this man, Micah, was not doing that. In fact, he goes further. He makes carved images, a shrine, makes his son, his private priest, 
all things that are in contradiction to the law. They were not Levites. He had no right to do that. Many things he did. So here you got a man, Micah. I don't know where he got this from, but he had a mother. A lot of us here are parents. I don't see any urgency from the mother to discipline him. Even after this threat, it seems to be an idle threat. You have Micah, who's an influence on his children, and particularly this one son. So this trend could continue, potentially, to another generation. You see, faith in God is from generation to generation. It was designed that way. But sin can also be carried from generation to generation. Another example is a little bit brighter. I'd like to look at Boaz and Ruth over in the book of Ruth. Ruth 3, verse 10 through 11. Some of the things that were amazing about Ruth, verse 10 of chapter 3, Ruth has found favor in the eyes of man. Verse 11, she was a worthy woman. In chapter 2, verse 11, Ruth found favor with God. Remember, she left her family by choice. That would have been her native land, her stomping grounds is what we would call it, familiar territory. She left without a promise. Unlike Abram, if you remember Abram in Genesis chapter 12, Abram was told to leave everything he knew as well. But the Lord told him he was going to bless him. It took great faith even then for Abram to do that. And he did. But Ruth here just loves her mother and decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship your God. In Ruth chapter 2, what kind of worker was she? It says, let me go to work. In verse 7, it says, she worked hard from early morning and only with a short rest. In verse 7. Some of those characteristics also are brought out in Boaz. Boaz, it says here in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, that he's a worthy man. Now, this will be to us an employer in this role. It said he's a worthy man in verse 1. Verse 4, the reapers and the relationship he has with the reapers. It says that he blesses them. The reapers, they bless him. And so you have this godly work environment in this time, in this period of time with the judges, you still had people doing the right thing. In verse 9 it says, Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So you've got Ruth here working in an environment where she's a foreigner, she's a female, and therefore she's subject to be assaulted and to be harmed, but not in the workplace with Boaz. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, but not in the watch of Boaz. He created a safe work environment for Ruth and for others. The reapers loved him. They blessed him. He blessed them. What a wonderful thing that we can learn from Ruth and Boaz and the characteristics they have exhibited in the workplace. So what is the value of work? And how do we measure value in the workplace? A lot of us will go through, especially early in life, or 
What are we going to do with our career? What are we going to choose to do? What is the income that we're going to accept? Do they have 401k? What's the work-life balance going to be? Do I get a car? <laughs> and many other things that you consider today for employment. And I'm not equipped to, to lecture you on that, that kind of stuff today about job seeking and pay negotiations. That's, that's really not what we're here to do as Christians. But what I do know is all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so when you think about those things that are important regarding your income and the pay package, all that stuff that's really important, just remember as Christians that our legacy, or as we say it today, our reputation, not many people will know what your income is, but they will remember you for what you said in the workplace. Remember Boaz and Ruth. Those people were respected in the workplace for their work, but how they conducted themselves. Yes, pay is important, but when you leave and you leave that workplace or you retire, like my friend Simon went to his retirement party, I think, years ago. They're not probably talking about Simon's pay scale. They're talking about the mark he left when he left. Your words and deeds in the workplace will be remembered. I had a grandfather that was similar in that regard to Boaz, only he was a religious man, a Navy man. He had a lot of jobs. He worked for Hayes Aircraft and many other jobs. One of them was a lawn care business. And in that business, along with others, he established a reputable name. Such a good name that when he passed, my brother who lives in the same community picked up that employment and took it to another level. But it was a door that he left cracked open. And that was his name. He did everything right. He treated people right. He loved God. That's another topic, but he did things right. He left a mark. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So the question is, what's going to be your legacy in your workplace? Whether you work at home or in the workplace, either way. You're leaving a reputation, even if it's a, a virtual one. I love these characteristics that I find in, in King David. Nothing can compare to Jesus Christ, but in 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is during the time when the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. We know that story. And he's now being tormented. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 18, of course, I'm reading out, out of the English Standard Version. Um, the record says that, one of the servants of Saul is trying to find a solution to appease Saul's torment. And so they're looking for a recruit to fit those needs. And it says here that one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse. By the way, we're looking at about six or seven of these characteristics that I think are very unique. A son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war. He's prudent in speech and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And so out of that, depending on how you count for the night, we're going to say that's six very important characteristics that I think we can maybe carry over uh, in some regard. As we talked about, the legacy. We don't know everything about Jesse, but what we do know is that Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. 
We know that Ruth and Boaz were grandparents, and my guess is that could have had some impact on David. But nonetheless, this servant mentions that he's the son of Jesse. He could have left that out if it was a bad characteristic, I suppose, but he, he put that in there as one of the characteristics. He also says he's skillful in playing. Your version may say that uh, he knows how to play the lyre. Now, I'm not saying we all need to know how to play the lyre or an instrument, but I think that it's important to learn an art form or a craft like Tabitha, and she used it for good, which again, I think if we teach our kids, these things can be, can be useful in the community and all through their life. I'm reminded of the principle that we had in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, and we know that problem that the one talent man had, he went and dug it in the ground, and dug and put it in the ground, did nothing with it. Whatever our talent is, or talents, we have to figure out what they are and use them for good and give God the glory when we do. You see, the value of work and the fear of the Lord, I believe, again, begins in the early development. Children just don't learn certain things on their own without parental leadership. They don't learn God and godly morals and standards and commandments, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. They don't learn how to share on their own. They don't learn meaning and purpose, cause and effect and consequences. They don't learn table etiquette and hospitality. They don't learn the value of hard work and or art forms and crafts and things like that that we can use in the community. I believe parents have a responsibility to teach our children. I think the Bible teaches that. Um, and another characteristics that we see here is David was a man of valor, a man of war. He was brave, depending on your version. Again, we're not necessarily warriors here at Oak Mountain. But I think what people might say about us in the workplace is, how do we respond when we're faced with challenging circumstances? How do we handle challenging circumstances? People might say that we, we have outbursts of anger. They might say that we handle it with patience and prayer. So what is the legacy going to be? The fourth characteristic that this servant says he sees in David is that he's prudent in speech. He speaks well. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So are we people who consider what we're about to say before we say it, or before we text it, or before we post it? David was prudent in speech. The servant says, this is the man we need to get for you, Saul. The fifth characteristic, he was a man of good presence. Your version may say he was fine looking. We all know we don't have to be fine looking to be a man of God or to appease someone that is having trouble. But our presence, not saying a word, can sometimes help people de-escalate, think, be happy. But the main one is the number six. He is a man of the Lord. The Lord is with him. And that's what we want to do. We want to be people where the Lord is with us. We want folks to reference us as a man of God or a woman of God in all that we do. And so when we think about these things, let's consider um, what people might say about us in the workplace and what we can bring as employees or employers. And so what is the value of work? I believe the value of work is salvation. You may not remember anything else we talked about tonight, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to heaven. It's quite simple. We're all trying to get to heaven. 
as we talked about earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3.15, says we are, you know, those characteristics that he said that you established in a, as a young man, Timothy, they were established when you were a youth and are to make you wise for salvation. See, God knows how we work, how we think. You may be of the fool man, but God knows your heart. In Revelations chapter 1 and through chapter 3, oftentimes you see the writer referencing, I know your works. I know your love. I know your faith. God knows, and we'll be judged based on what he knows. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 15 says, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so we will be judged on our deeds. So I don't know what our files look like at work. We have a bunch of peak slips coming in late, causing a bunch of trouble at work. Don't know that. People here may never know that. But there will be a record of us at the judgment. God also knows the diligent from the lazy. The diligent, in Proverbs 12, 24, it says, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 12, 27, Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. And the lazy, Proverbs 19, 24, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard says, there is, no li there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. Just lazy. Are we lazy? Or are we diligent to consider the consequences? In the first, um, in the new covenant, Ephesians 4, 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And one of my favorites is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I think a lot of us may fit into maybe this category to some level. Um, I'm reminded of Barzillai during the time of Absalom's coup against his father, King David. Um, the king has fled Jerusalem. He and his men are tired and hungry and they're wandering in the wilderness. And who comes to his aid? It was Barzillai and others. Barzillai was 80 years old and rich, had a lot of reasons to not be out, exalting, um, you know, running himself to death. His body's probably hurting. It says his eyes were dim, uh, but he's chosen to help David, even in his 80-year-old body and his ailments and aching. He was still working, doing what he could. So tonight, I don't know what the core values are at your company that you work at, but chances are, whatever the core values are, whatever the expectation is there, as a Christian, it should be a walk in the park to meet and exceed the workplace core values. 
to be nice to people, to work together, to care about people. Very fundamental things that as a Christian should be a walk in the park. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you work not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So as we look at this in closing, work is about being obedient to God. And we're trying to acquire the inheritance. We're trying to acquire salvation, to be in the presence of God, to be in heaven. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So by the grace of God, we can have hope of heaven, but we do have to purge sin from our lives. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So regarding obeying the gospel, if you need to respond tonight, Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Tonight is the time to do that. If you have sin that needs to be addressed, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, this is the time to do that. But Christianity is a, Christ is a faith of work, We've been talking a lot about the workplace from a secular standpoint, but Christianity is a working faith. We're here to save lives and to preach the gospel, to be the light. We'll be judged based on what we say and what we do. Um, so as we stand and sing, make your way to the front if you need to respond to the gospel.